Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. If you have your Bible, say yeah. yeah. Open it up to Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> We're going to finish our study today, Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to pick up right in the text where we were reading last week. If you remember, we finished this chapter reading from verse 40 all the way to the end, which is verse 56. And we studied the, the life and the encounter of Jairus and his daughter with Jesus. And then snuggled right in that message is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And so today we're going to be reading in, in Luke 8, verses 42 through 48. Luke 8 42 through 48. It should be behind me here in just a moment if you don't have your Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, you can always get a Bible at the Bible bar. Those are free for you. And I just think it's awesome that we give Bibles out at a bar. Amen. Luke 8. I'm going to read verse 42 through 48. It says this in the beginning of 42 part B. It says, and Jesus went, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, look around you. The crowds surround, and, you are, and, and they are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was no longer hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how he had, she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The title of our message today is Let's Go Public. Let's just get good and loud and public about our faith. Let's just tell everybody we know about Jesus and what he's done. Amen. Let me pray for you real quick and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word and thank you for us. Thank you that you've gathered us, ordained our steps for here, for now, for this. Open our hearts and our minds that we might be changed. Amen. Something for you to note over the course of our time together today, there will be a slide that pops up for prayer requests. As I'm preaching and the Lord is doing what he does in your heart, if at any time the Lord moves you, prods you, speaks to you and says, I want to talk about this, calls you to a place of prayer, you can submit that prayer request in our app. There'll be instructions on the screen over the course of the message. And I want to challenge you to do that. We have a prayer team specifically dedicated to pray for those right then and right there. We want to join you in this moment. This is not just a TED talk. Amen. This is the Holy Spirit working. I want to start this message by telling you about the saddest sentence I ever heard. Many of you know that I used to be a drug addict. I, by the grace of God, have uh, 12 years sober. Amen. 12 years, uh, six months, and 29 days. But who's counting? And um, early in the days of my addiction, I was blessed to, um, to, to, to be functioning in my addiction. 
I got a job um, when I first moved back down to Denver working with a friend of mine. He started this uh, tech company. We, we had a tech startup and, and we saw great success. I don't know if you remember back in 2009 when that devastating earthquake happened in Haiti. Um, and then all of the sudden on all of the TV channels, you saw that people were able to make a text message donation to the Red Cross. Do y'all remember seeing that back then? So our company founded that technology. Um, I, I built that campaign. I wrote the text messages that you may have received if you donated on your phone or a neighbor's phone. Um, and and we saw tremendous success. In fact, actually, I, I was there in the room when we negotiated with the wireless carriers, asking them to, use, to let us use their billing gateway to do donations for nonprofits. I, I was there when we launched the very first mobile giving campaign with Alicia Keys at American Idol. I got to go to American Idol and see Alicia Keys. And I was, you know, a professional, but also a fangirl. And so I was trying not to squeal. I was like, Miss Keys, here's your script. And I just love your work so much, oh my God. Anyway, um, we had tremendous success. And I don't know if you know anything about the tech startup world, but in, in the tech startup world, you know, diligence, hard work, that's sort of the currency by which everything is measured. And I was a crystal meth addict, which meant that I never slept. And so we were incredibly successful because even me and, and my other boss, who was also on um, stimulants, we just never stopped working. We were working diligently day in and day out. And my addiction was very functional until eventually it wasn't. Because I don't know if you know this about addiction, but eventually it wins. And eventually I lost that job, that company that I helped to find. I, I, I lost a wife and a car and a home. And eventually I lost custody of our boys. And eventually I lost everything. And by the grace of God, eventually I also found my way into a treatment center, into a church that embraced me, amen, and, and into a ministry where I got to serve. You've heard me joke about stacking chairs, but you know, when you start in small, some of the good stuff is the good stuff, you know? And about a year into my sobriety, I went back to the company that I helped to found. And over the course of my time there, I was in charge of a team of about 10 hired, fired people to work for us and help work with all of our clients, these major brands throughout the company. And, and I went back to visit, probably out of pride to show them that I was alive. And, um, and I, I had hoped that in that time I would have been celebrated. But... I heard the saddest sentence I'd ever heard that day. I, I, I walked in and, and the first person that met me at the door was a young lady I had hired to be an account manager for our company. Her name was Angela. And she ran up to me and she said, oh my gosh, I never knew you were sick. And I remember th thinking she must have thought that was a good thing to say. But when I was sick, it was like I was drowning and no one was watching. I don't know if you've ever been privy to the addiction cycle of a loved one or you yourself have suffered in it. I don't know if you've ever been suffering from acute mental illness or a private struggle or an issue that, that has got you hook, line, and sinker and also got you quiet about it, privately, secretly suffering so that no one knows. I don't know if the enemy's ever used a circumstance like that to tell you that you're the only one who's suffering and you better not talk about it. I don't know if that's you, but I can tell you that for me, it was like I was drowning and crying and screaming, saying, somebody help me. And everybody was just looking at me like, you look good. You're doing great. And I remember thinking, how could she not have known? 
There's a line in recovery we use all the time. It's secrets keep us sick. And that really is what our conversation is about today. See, you might think that this passage, this story about the woman with the issue of blood is once again just another miraculous healing from Jesus. But it's not. Much like the story we looked at last week with Jairus and his daughter, not just a miraculous healing, but a conversation about listening. Today's conversation is about confessing. Is it true that Jesus heals here? Absolutely. But something is at work that we have to discuss today. The first thing I want you to understand that this woman, she has a private problem. The Bible says that there was a woman with the issue of blood and a discharge of blood. We understand that to be that she was in constant state of menstrual cycle. Now, fellas, you have no idea what we're talking about here. Amen? But ladies, I just mentioned that, and it puts tremendous weight on the conversation. Can we talk about your Bible for a second? It's, I mean, this is like a graphic novel. Amen? There's some, we got some business to talk about here today. This woman has been suffering from a discharge of blood every day and every night and every moment of her life for 12 years. Amen. To say that she is suffering is a gross understatement. The Bible tells us that she's been suffering with this issue for 12 years and that she's gone to every doctor she could find to no avail. She is done. Now, you should know about the setting and the time and place that this takes place. This is a Jewish woman in a Jewish community seeking out after a Jewish rabbi, suffering from a discharge of blood that under Jewish law would make her ceremonially unclean, which means she's not just sick medically, she's suffering. She's not just broke because financially she's seen every doctor and she's ruined, but ceremonially she's unclean. And that means that spiritually she's a total outcast. But that also means that in a Jewish state, in a community that's made, marked, known by its religion, that means that she's not just not allowed at church. It means that socially, she's totally isolated. Let me put it like this. She's not allowed to be anywhere near anyone ever. And so the reason I tell you this is so that you can understand that she's sick, as sick as it gets. And she's broke, as broke as it gets. And she's alone, as alone as it gets. And she's forgotten, as forgotten as it gets. She's as low as low can get. You need to understand that this woman, no matter what you're facing, she's facing the exact same thing. You walked in this room here today and you've got trouble with money. She got trouble with money. She knows what that's like. You walked in this room here today and you're sick. She's sick. She knows what that's like. You walked in here and no one's talking to you. You're all alone. You're not sure if anybody even remembers who you are. She knows what that's like. This woman is all of us. That's why this story exists, because there ain't nobody that's ever suffered worse than... See, you can be sick, but if you got some people around you, you can get through. You can be broke, but if you got one rich friend... <laughs> you can struggle with church, but this world has given all of us a million other communities other than church. Amen. This woman is suffering like every one of us has ever suffered. 
and she's going after something. Oof, I wish I could push this part. I don't have a ton of time. But I, I want you to understand that this woman, she has, how do I say this? Every reason to quit. Amen? I mean, she's, you think about your, your wit's end. Think about the end of your rope. Think about the worst day. Amen? You got it in your mind? Still worse. Still worse. Still worse. Why? Because she has nobody to talk to and nobody to help her. In fact, and you have to, you can't miss this part. In fact, because of the culture within which she works, and I'm going to labor on this because you have to see it, wherever she goes, people back away from her. Oh my God. They're afraid of her. She's dangerous. She represents ceremonial uncleanness, which is akin to sin. She cannot be touched. She's untouchable. Your worst day? Still pretty solid compared to her day. And she presses in. But the problem that we're talking about today with the woman with the issue of blood is not that she suffered, not that she's isolated, not that the people are not helping her. It's that she's been suffering in private so that she's not humiliated in public. Consider this for a moment, what it must be like for you to suffer and everybody see your suffering and think that your sin caused it. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but you lose your apartment and someone's like, so are you on drugs or what? What's going on? You get fired and people think like, so you're just a terrible employee? You get broken up with and they're like, I knew it. She's way better than you anyway. Have you ever been blamed for your own struggles? Have you ever been put in a position where people think that everything that's bad around you is your fault? Worse yet, better question. Have you ever believed that lie about yourself? Have you ever been at a place where you're just like, well, this is it. It's my fault. I'm not worthy. And I'm ready to call it quits. That's what we're talking about today, which is the curse of silent suffering. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight tooth and nail this morning to break it off of your life. Amen? Now, I can't do it. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can change this part of your heart and the way that you struggle and walk through this journey of life. But I'm going to advocate on your behalf today because I don't want you to leave this place with that thing still in you saying, yes, good for everyone, but not good for you. And she's been suffering silently, so she's not humiliated publicly, but there's something in her that just won't quit. And I wish that some of us had that same spirit. The Bible says... Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus. She touched the fringe of his garment. Oof, this isn't in the text. Mark, come here. Come run up here. Whoa, I didn't write this part. This is going to be good. Come on, Jesus. Mark's Jesus. Because we believe in a black Jesus. I'm just playing. I'm like, come on, come on. He was dark, though, just so you know. He, he didn't have blonde hair. Just another sermon. Okay. That's Jesus. He's tall. <laughs> what did John do? He was like, oh. Okay, stop. All right. Jesus and all of his disciples keeping the people at bay. And all of the people. Oh. But, right? But the disciples are like, hold on, just let the rabbi get set. Okay? And all of the people trying to touch him, Jesus, 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 look at me, Jesus, Jesus. Everybody's trying to get Jesus' attention. And Peter, because you know Peter, he's like, get out of the way. <laughs> but everybody wants Jesus. They want the countenance 
and the attention of Jesus. And then there's this woman. God, come on, preach. She's not supposed to be in this crowd. She can't be here. She doesn't belong here. And so she's lying about what she's going through. She's not walking in and saying, I'm suffering with the issue of blood. I I need to get to Jesus. Because if she says that, she'll be stoned, removed from their presence, and killed. And so, she says, I've been suffering for 12 years. It's been so bad, I'd I'd almost rather die. And I've spent everything on everybody, not a charlatan or a necromancer or a sorcerer or a wizard or any prophet or any of these physicians can do anything for me. Nothing is working, but there's something about him. She says, I don't know everything about him, but I know that when he touches people, things move. When he says things, things change. He went across the ocean and he healed a demon. I heard about that story. I know about the daughter. I know about all of the things that Jesus has been doing. And I'm not sure if it's going to work for me, but I got no other option. I got nothing to lose. And so if I could just, I don't need you to see me. I don't need you to touch me. Because you know how you do it, right? You came to church and they were like, come up to the front. And you were like, not today. Here's what you have to understand, okay? She's an untouchable woman who comes to touch Jesus. And Jesus is in complete control of the situation, amen? Because Jesus is God, amen? And everybody's there. He knows who they are, amen? And if he wanted to turn around at every moment and say, you, he could have said it, right? But he doesn't. Because Jesus doesn't think anybody's untouchable. And Jesus lets things take their course according to his will work through our life. And so what happens is Jesus lets her come in and touch. Ooh, this is the best part. He's talking to Jairus. Remember this last week? And Jairus is like, here's the deal. My daughter, she's at home and she's dying. And I don't know if you can do anything, but please come with me and save my daughter. Jesus is in a moment of ministry with Jairus when the woman touches his hem. She doesn't interrupt the moment. That's a teaching on manners for another Sunday. She doesn't interrupt, right? But hold on. Jesus interrupts the moment with Jairus. Jesus is talking to Jairus and he's like, where do you live? Okay, we can go there. 
A man comes and says, Jairus, don't worry about it. Your daughter's already dead. Jairus would have thought probably, oh, this is it. We got to hurry. And Jesus says, hold on for just one second. Jesus interrupts this moment and he turns and he says, who touched me? Here's what I want to tell you today. Number one, you are not untouchable. Would that if you or I were in a coffee meeting together, I would say this to you about four times, eye to eye, heart to heart, because I know that this is what the world continues to tell us in so many different ways. You are not untouchable. You are not beyond help. It is not too late. He is not overlooking you. He has not forgotten you. He's not too busy. He doesn't have more important things to do. It's you. And number two is Jesus is willing to interrupt everything for you. Did you know that? There's no part of this journey with Jesus and you're like, I would love to talk. And he's like, super busy, bro. Um, can we meet next week? That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, yes, let's go. I've been waiting all day. Jesus interrupts this conversation for a moment with her. Even though, ready, she didn't want the moment. She just wanted the movement of the power of the Lord. Now, there's something to be said about the fact that she's thinking about Jesus in a primarily transactional matter, and I want to push each one of you to think less of Jesus transactionally and more of Jesus relationally, and this is why Jesus stops this moment. He knows power has left, which means he also knows she's good and healed. Amen? He's like, she's done. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I wonder, because I'm always asking silly questions like this about the Bible, I wonder how many of those healings actually took place that we would never read about. Like how many times do you think people were just like, touched him, woo, <laughs> and we don't read it. But in this one, we read it. Jesus stops, she touches him, she gets healed. And, and here's the difference. He says, someone touched me, power has left me. And Peter's like, bro, there's like 30,000 people here. Someone touched you? Everyone touched you. And Jesus says, nah, someone touched me differently. You see, there's a lot of people around Jesus in this moment. And they're, they're you know, they're there. But they're not There. Do you know the difference that I'm talking about here today? There, there's a lot of people in this world who are really good at looking Christian. Ooh, here we go. You ready? All right, let's talk about it for a sec. There's a lot of people. I have a weird thing about where this thing needs to sit. Amen. There's a lot of people who are really good at looking Christian. They know how to pray the right prayers. Amen. We did our prayer circle today. Was there one person in your group who was super good? And you were just like, how am I supposed to pray like that? Right? They come to you and you're like, and I love you. <laughs> we think that the way that people pray is an indication of how depth, how deep their relationship is or how mature they are in Christ. And it is one marker. But did you know that there's a lot of people who just know how to have pray good prayers? They're real good pontificators. Or did you know that there's a lot of people who really know the word, but they don't know the word? I mean, there's a lot of people in this world who go to church every week, faithful givers, and they play church. They might even lead a ministry. I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the global church. There's a lot of people called Christians who are not Christ-like. Amen. 
But they got status and symbols and they say things like, God's just been blessing me. And I'm like, you've been taken out of the tie. Amen. Listen, some people are real good at a polished appearance, but Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They're still dead inside. The woman with the issue of blood, she's not coming near to Jesus just to associate with Jesus. There's some people here that are just, they just want to be around Jesus. They, they just want to see what they can get from Jesus. They just want to be known by Jesus. But she's not here to associate with Jesus. She doesn't even want to be seen. She's here to adhere to Jesus. She's here to ascribe to Jesus. She's, she's here to be changed by Jesus. And maybe that's the question today. Are you wanting to be changed by Jesus? There's some of you in here and you're like, look at my life. Yes, please. <laughs> Anything is better than this. But there's some of you in here, you're like, no, I've, I'm already, I've been changed. I'm good. But you know, in the kingdom, there is no static state. There is no such thing in this text as one and done. You don't pray the prayer and you're saved. You don't give your way into heaven. You don't get so holy that no longer do you have to do anything else. No, the, the story of the gospel is a continual pressing in. And if you've ever walked with God, then you know what it's like that first day he works on this sin, amen? And then you overcome and you're like, I'm free. And he's like, ah, we got some other stuff to talk about. And you're like, oh, okay, great. The journey with Jesus is an ever-changing journey of making you better and more like him. Hear me, not better and more for the world. Come on. The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you might be transformed to look like him. And so there's all these people around Jesus and they want to be near Jesus and she just wants to be changed by Jesus. And so Jesus says, I sense that someone touched me, not by touch, but by faith. And so here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is in this room. Jesus is here. I don't know if you know, but he comes early at seven and sets up the chairs. <laughs> and he is not fooled but what you came for. You see, Jesus knows who came to be changed. Jesus knows who has the humble heart. Jesus knows who's in here and says, I just want to take you on your terms, your way, have it. But he also knows who walks in and says, I like this Jesus thing. I am not interested in changing. And that's because Jesus has power to discern this. Amen? Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. I remember when I was in youth group, I had a youth pastor tell me that. He was teaching, of course, a message on pornography. Amen. And he said to all of, we had a breakout session, because you know how they do that with the boys and then the girls. And they're like, we're going to talk real. <laughs> and all the boys are like, I think my mom has to pick me up right now. <laughs> he had a moment with us and he said, here's the deal. You may be able to fake the funk to your mom or your dad or your friends or your church, but Jesus sees what you do in your room alone. And I was like, that is from the devil. 
I was so offended and so convicted. The teaching is true. Church, hear me. Cast the youth group stuff aside. Jesus knows you. He knows what you've been praying about. He also knows what you've been yearning for. He knows what you've been fantasizing over and what you've been plotting. He knows all of your good parts and all of your bad parts. And get this, he's still crazy for you. Crazy for you. And he says, I noticed that someone touched me and wanted something more than just for me to see them. They want to change. What I love about the story of the woman with the issue of blood is how small, how tender the moment is between her and Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is that she's chasing after an all-powerful Jesus. Amen? She notices, she knows, she can sense that in him is something that no one else on this earth has. But she knows that if she can just get a little touch from him, everything will change. I think the most beautiful part about the story is that it's so intimate and so tender. She's not making the show. She just wants to touch the hem. It's reminiscent in this day and age of the priests, the rabbis, and any pious Jewish man of the time who would wear prayer clothing under their outer clothing, the garments of which the royal blue tassels would hang at their side. These would be the tassels that they would touch often when they would pray, and it would be a marker of a man who's set apart, Ecclesiastes, altogether different. She's doing the same sort of thing. She sees a man who's powerful and who's different, and she just wants to touch the marker of what makes him different. And she knows that he has the power. It's, it's, it's like she knows the teaching of the mustard seed before the teaching comes forth. It's like she knows the story of Beacon before Beacon comes to be. She's like, I, I just know that great and mighty things are on the way, even if I start with small and little. It's like she knows when Jesus says, if you be faithful over a little, be ruler over much. It's like she knows that I don't have to make a big show. I don't have to come to the front and weep and wail and nobody else has to see me. I can be in this moment with just me and Jesus, but it will be more than just this moment with me and Jesus. And I like that tenderness. But here's an interesting thing in the text. <laughs> Ready? Jesus doesn't like it. Oh, you, you, you missed it. You see, she's, she's humble. She's patient. And she's discreet. And she knows he has power and just a little touch of power is going to give her all the power, right? And as soon as she lets go, in all power, she's healed. And she's like, well, you know how you do it when your parents are sleeping still? And you're like. <laughs> I've been trying to teach our youngest, Canaan, how to close the door quietly. I don't know why teenagers slam every door. <laughs> she thinks she's going to get away nice and quiet, right? She's just hoping no one sees her. She's going to go back to that quiet and secret life. This is the same way that most of us come to church. We're like, I am sick, and I'm not telling anybody about it. And I hope that Jesus heals me, and then I'm not telling anybody about it. And I hope that I get to keep it forever, but I'm still not going to tell anybody about it. And Jesus doesn't like that, does he? Jesus says, oh, I wish you could see it too. I'd call Jesus up here again, but that's enough. 
the people are pressing in. And he's in a conversation with Jairus. And she touches him and leaves. And then he says, wait. Someone touched me. And Peter says, everybody's touching you. And he says, no. Someone else touched me. Now, in your sanctified imagination, I want you to use and I want you to think about how he's doing this, okay? Is he confused about who touched him? So who's he looking at? You ever get in trouble from your parents and they're like, somebody broke the lamp. Does anybody want to talk about it? <laughs> and you're like, you're like looking to point at the dog. The, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> Jesus knows who touched him. He knows who's been healed. He knows about the miracle. There are no secrets. Jesus has already done a mighty work. And he says, hold on, wait. We can't keep this secret. I'm not going to keep this secret. Who touched me? Who did it? And she stops. She just wants to get away. I don't, I don't want people to know about this. Sometimes he preaches better, huh? says, when she realized that she was no longer hidden, mm, read it again, when she realized that she was no longer overlooked, when she realized that she hadn't been forgotten or discounted or cast aside or outcast, when she realized she wasn't plagued or cursed or doomed, when she realized that she was alive and had been set free and that she had been healed and what she sought she had received, when she realized that Jesus knew her in her flesh and in her suffering, but now even better yet knew her as healed, when she realized she wasn't hidden, it says she ran to him, she fell at her feet and she said, I've suffered for 12 years and was almost dead. I waste everything. Nothing worked. But I touched you. I touched you. I touched you. And I was healed completely. Jesus calls her out. Oh, to be called out by Jesus. Jesus says, I simply won't let you live in secret anymore. Even though you be healed, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He says, daughter, we didn't have this transaction just for it to not be known. We had this transaction so that the world might know. Who might you tell about what you and I did here? Now you have to think about the scene for a minute because no one is touching this lady now. Think how strange and confusing this is. They just touched her. She snuck by. Excuse me, pardon me. They didn't know. And then Jesus says, tell everybody. And she says, I've been suffering with the issue of blood, ceremonially unclean for 12 years. And everybody is like, where's my COVID mask? I'm freaking, <laughs> did she touch you? She touched me. 
But then she says the second part. She says, but I touched you. And I'm healed. And everything's different. Everything has changed, Jesus. Just because I touched you, Jesus. And if I'm imagining church like I'm imagining church, Jesus is kind of a Pentecostal preacher. And he's like, say it again. And she's like, I touched you. And he's like, say it louder. And she's like, I, I, touch, I touch, I'm, you did it. I'm healed. And then he says, woman, your faith has made you well. He calls her out to make a declaration of healing. He says, I did the work. You confirm it. And then she confirms it and then he confirms it. He says, I do the healing, you do the telling. But you gotta do the telling. And this verse is often misused. You've heard it said before, it was her faith that made her well, leading many of us to believe that there's somehow a magical measure of belief in our heart that would leave us to be saved or healed. I hear people all the time and they're like, Pastor, the Bible says if I just believe, then I will be healed, so I'm not healed. So does that mean I don't believe enough? You've heard this, right? It's left many of us to believe, like, is there a secret? Is there something special that other people who get this have and I don't have? Why do I do it? I, why does it not work for me? And he's not saying that. That's not the text. The text is not, if you believe so much, then you'll get all the good things of God. He is saying, I will give you the good things. I'm Jesus. I healed you when you didn't even talk. I healed you in secret. I healed you when it was just you and me. I will heal you because I'm good, because I love you. End of sentence. But because I'm good, tell everybody. He said, that's the faith I'm talking about. He says, walk it out. It didn't heal you, but it proves that you're healed no matter where you go. See, people think, I gotta believe and then I'll be healed. And Jesus says, come to me and I will heal you and then show everybody how healed you are, that they might run to me. Amen? Three minutes left. I'm gonna have just Mel come up and play for us. I wanna do something today. I'm not the only one that gets to yell today. In this room right now, there are those of you who have been saved, healed, delivered, brought from a mighty long way. And there are those of you who are also still in process, seeking after your healing and after your deliverance and after what it is that God's called you from and to. And the difference is not whether or not he's good enough to do it. Amen? The difference is whether you're bold enough to talk about it. The whole story today is about the public confession of the woman to confirm her healing. Now, I'm not leading this church into a name it and claim it doctrine. Amen. But I am agreeing with the text that says the power of life and death is in your tongue. And I'm believing that secrets keep us sick. And there's somebody in this room that needs to hear you say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with Lead Pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!